Masechet Pesachim has been dedicated by Mr. Ike J. Shehebar in honor of his grandparents, Mr. Ike and Jeanette Bibi. We bless Mr. Ike Shehebar, who's been a sponsor of the Dafyomi for many uh, days. They should continue to enjoy success, health, and happiness. May his grandparents also enjoy much nachat from him as well as all their grandchildren, and may they only share in Simachot for the entire family. Amen. Amen. Today's daf has been dedicated by our dear friend, Mr. Tuvi Asis, dedicated in honor of the rabbi, Tuvi, who is uh, a member of our Daf Hayomi group. We bless him with continued success. Aslaha Nasa. Much nahat from his children, v'chol, mileh demetav, all good things, amen. Amen. And daf is being studied, there ilun ishmat, hacham baruch Rafael ben Miriam, and Avraham ben Esther, ruach Hashem tanihem began Eden, amen. We are going to begin from the Mishnah on daf lamed amudbet, it is five lines from the bottom. And the Mishnah reads, Nochri shehilva et Yisrael al hemso achara pesach mutar behanaa. A nochri, a Gentile, is lending a Jew money. Let's just review terminologies. The malveh is the one that lends the money, the lender, and the loveh is the borrower. In this case over here of the Mishnah, the nochri is lending money to a Jew, and he takes the hametz of the Jew as a collateral. Meaning, if the Jew doesn't come up with the money, the goy is going to keep the hametz. So the Mishnah says, what is the status of this hametz after Pesach? The loan is due after Pesach. Okay, so the Mishnah says, Ahara Pesach mutar That hametz indeed is permissible, is mutar bahana. The question is why? Seemingly, it's, it's the Jew's hametz. It's serving as a collateral. Now, if it's a Jew's hametz, we know that hametz, Shabbat Allah, Pesach, is a surbanaah. Whether it's from the Torah, whether it's a kanas, midrabanan, those are the shitot already of the Tanaim. So, what's the explanation? So, that she right away in the Mishnah gives us the interpretation. And we read inside Dashi, Nukhrishil Vat Yisrael, Ma'ot al Hemso. Money against the Jews Hametz, Kodem HaPesach, Ve'avar Arav HaPesach, Mutar Ba'na'awul, Kameh B'Gemara Mukila, later on the Gemara explains it, Kishihirhino Etzlo Bebeto, meaning, he deposited the Hametz by the Goy's house. So the collateral is being held by the Goy in his house. Ve'shoheh Etzad HaNukhri, and it is staying by the Goy. Now after Pesach came, the debt came due, and the Jew did not pay. So therefore, And it's not lacking payment, because the payment is already by the Goy. After all, he is holding the Hametz. So we say retroactively, So the halakha says, retroactively we say, 
that when the Jew gave over the Hametz, from that point already, that was considered payment, and it was considered the Goys from the beginning of Pesach, so therefore it's Hametz of a Goy, which is Mutar, that's the, <coughs> that's the halakhic mechanics, how this case works. Now we go to the opposite case. Yisrael et al asur the reverse case is where a Jew was the lender. He lent money to a goy against the hametz of the goy. So in this case over here, it is going to be asur bana'a. That she says the same case. Since the goy gave it to the Jew, right? It was deposited by the Jew's home. After Pesach, when the debt came due, the goy did not pay. At that point already, the payment is. The Hametz, retroactively we say <coughs> that that Hametz belonged to the Jew from the beginning of Pesach. So therefore it's Hametz, Shavar al Pesach, and therefore it would be Asur, Bana'ah. Gemara says, Itmar, Baal Chov. So you have a Baal Chov, which we'll call a creditor, which means, uh, as she says the case, we'll read inside, Hamalvet <coughs> Havero. He lent his friend money, Vishyabed lo Nechasav. Right? And he put a lien on the person's properties. Nechasav, on his, uh, on his uh, <coughs> assets. Shim lo ad yom ploni. He said, if I don't pay you by a certain date, gavam nechsai. You can take the money from my assets. And the time came and he didn't pay. So here we have a mahlokit. Itmar ba'al chov, we read the Gemara. Abaye amar lemafreyah. So we have a mahluk between Abaye and Rabbah. Abaye comes along and says that if the borrower does not make good on the loan, so then retroactively the collateral is going to have been considered owned by the lender from the inception. Like we said in the Mishnah. However, Rabbah says no. Mikano Rabbah. Oh, from the time that there's a default in the payment, at that point now, the collateral belongs to the lender, but not retroactively. The Gemara will explain different nafkaminot uh, in saying what we're saying here. Now the Gemara says, Kol hecha de'ikdish love vezabin love Everybody agrees, meaning Abaye and Rava, in the scenario that we just discussed, where you have the Love and the Malve, and they put the collateral on the uh, on the assets. So in this case over here, let's say in the interim, the Love which means that's the one that's borrowing the money, he went and took these assets, that the collateral, we'll call it the collateral, and he went and made it Hikdish. He now made it Kodesh. That is Hikdish. Everybody agrees he does not have the right to do that. Because since these assets were earmarked for payment, if there's a default, it's not considered his to make it Hikdish. The Torah learns from the Pasuk Beto. So the Gebra says, Ma beto shelo birshuto, afkol birshuto, which means you can only make a dish on something that it's in your possession. Now, even though technically he owns this 
money, but since he put it as a collateral against the money that he borrowed, so it's not considered his to make it hegdish. Or for that matter, <coughs> if he sold it, vizavin love. If let's say he took those assets and he sold them, everybody agrees that the malveh can come, vetarif, meaning he can come and take those back for free, meaning they're his. He could take it back from the person that was sold to, or ufarik, or let's say he made it hegdesh, he can redeem it. Now technically, it doesn't need redemption, because since it's not his to make hegdesh, Technically, the Malvish should just be able to go to the Beit Hamikdash and say, "Hey, listen, just give me, give me the assets back. They were, they were mine. This guy had no right to make a dish." But Rashi tells us, and we're going to see the Gemara immediately, that let's say hypothetically the loan or the yeah the loan was a hundred zoos. Yeah, the guy went and took assets that were worth ninety zoos and made them hegdish. So clearly, the Malvish could take that ninety back, but. Normally when you redeem Hegdesh, it has to be with money. Meaning you have to transfer the Kiddushah of the Kodesh and put it on Kesef. Now in this case over here, like I said, it really should not need a redemption at all. But Hachamim necessitated a redemption because of Marit Ayin. Because they're worried that people are going to come along and see the guy taking something back from Hegdesh. They're going to say, oh, well you could just be Podeh Hegdesh just by taking it back. Then they're going to come along and just be Podeh Hegdesh without redeeming. So the Gemara says, you have to be Podeh for a small amount of money. You could take even one coin, let's say, and give it to the uh, Kodesh, and now you can make your redemption. That being said, since the Malveh had to spend this one coin, he does get reimbursed by the Loveh. Which means now he's going to have to pay him back, well he got 90, let's say. He'll have to pay him back 10 more f- to finish the loan, plus the extra one that cost the uh, Malveh to make the redemption. Now, furthermore, as she tells us, that this only applies to things that are not Kiddushat Aguf. Meaning, Kiddushat Aguf would be like something of like an animal. That intrinsically becomes Kodesh. When you make an animal Kodesh, you have to bring it on the Mizbeah. That's called Kedushat Aguf. Even in such a case where the Loveh would make a Korban Kodesh, it'll hit Hegdesh where redemption is not an option. That she says the only case we can be talking about is something that is called Kedushat Damin. Where let's say it's an object that you made Hegdesh that lends itself to be redeemed. In any event, the Gemara says, Ditnan, as we learned in the Mishnah, we're on the top line. Mosif od dinar, right? The Malveh would add an extra dinar, and he would redeem these assets that were sanctified by the Malveh. By the Loveh. Loveh, the lend. Comes the, exactly. Comes the Gemara and says, so that's not a mahluk between Abayi and Rabah. Everybody agrees. Kipelige, the argument is, the Zabin Malveh Vekadish Malveh. The question is, let's say the Malveh is the one that makes the assets Kodesh, or he makes the assets, he sells them. Now seemingly, if they belong to him, he has a right to do it. If they don't belong to him, he doesn't have a right. Well, that's going to be subject to the Ma'loket. What's the Ma'loket? Abaye Amar, the Mafreya Hu Abaye says retroactively, when the Loveh defaults, that money becomes the money of the Malveh retroactive from the beginning of the loan. So therefore, when he made Hekdesh, he was making Hekdesh on something that belongs to him. 
When he sold it, he's making a sale on something that belongs to him. Kevan de matazamne, since the debt time comes. Velo paraen, he didn't pay. Iglai miltalim afreya, retroactively we say what? Timiikara birshuteava, that it was in his possession. Kae. Veshapir Agdish, Veshapir Zabin. And he either made it Agdish properly, correctly, good, or he sold it. That would be according to Abayeh. Veramamar, Mikan, Ulhabba, Ugove. The Ma says no. That once there's a default on the loan, at that point, that's when the assets belong to the Malveh. Skevan, the Iluhave, Lezuze, because if the Loveh, would have money, he would pay him with money. That means he would only acquire these assets, according to Rava, at the time of the payment, but not retroactively. Meaning, if the Nove would make a payment, so at that point, uh, the, uh, the assets belong to the mother, but not before. So therefore, even if the... Um, Malveh, even if the Loveh defaults, Abaye doesn't say, Ravad doesn't say it goes back retroactively, meaning everything is proactive. And therefore, at the time that the Malveh takes these assets and sells them to make it Kodesh, it's not his. So therefore, Ravad will say he does not have the ability. So the Mahlokan is, does the Malveh have a right to sell or make Kodesh the assets that were given to him as a collateral on the that so comes again and says, "Umi Amar Abach, did Rava indeed say this that it does not work retroactively?" Ve'Amar Ami Barhama. So Rabbi Barhama now gives us a scenario. The case is like this: Reuven Shemachar Sadeh LeShimon Ba'Harayut. Reuven had a field. He sold it to Shimon. With aharayut. Aharayut literally means with responsibility. What was this responsibility? He told Shimon, listen, if anybody should come and uh, have claims against this field, because Reuven owes some people money, and therefore people have a right to go after Reuven's fields. He says, listen, I'm selling you the field and I'm taking responsibility. Meaning, I owe you. If they come to you, for payment against that field, I will reimburse you. Okay? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, Shimon said, well, I don't have money to pay you yet for this field. So therefore, I owe you uh, the money for this field. So it comes out, Reuven is obligating himself to Shimon, and Shimon is obligating himself to Reuven. Reuven saying, if somebody should come... And, you know, claim against the field that they want payment. I obligate myself for that. Shimon says, well, I don't have money to pay you for the field at all, so I want to, you know, so to speak, mortgage it out like, which means hey, now I owe you the uh, I owe you the money for the field. So Reuven is the Baal Hob of Shimon, and Shimon is the Baal Hob of Reuven. That's the way it works. Now, comes the Gemara and says, Umet Reuven. Oh. Now the case goes on and says, Reuven died. Now one of the creditors of Reuven comes, He comes to Shimon and says, Hey listen, you got the field over here, Reuven who died owes me money, I'm taking the field now. Now, 
Reuven really guaranteed that money. Problem is, Reuven is not around anymore. So what happens? So Shimon, even though he wasn't obligated, but he went and he paid it for me. He paid the debt. Right? And the reason why Shimon pays the debt, we're going to see, is because otherwise he's going to lose the field. If he doesn't pay this debt. Why? Because the halakha says that the yetomim, meaning the orphans of Reuven, do not inherit these debts. Which means the creditor cannot go after the yetomim. The rule basically says like this. Since in this case, Reuven died, he did not leave any properties, any real estate to his children. And therefore the deen is that anything that's not real estate, so to speak, so now the creditors cannot go after the Uven's children. They don't have any real estate to pay that debt. You cannot bequeath your children a monetary debt or debt of assets. So therefore, Shimon saying, listen, what are my choices here? If I don't pay this debt over here, this guy's going to take away the field, and I'm stuck. Well, Reuven promised to pay. I can't get it from his children because that, that's not their obligation anymore. So Shimon in his thinking said, I'll pay it and then I'll subtract it for what I owe for the field. Hypothetically, I said the field was $1,000. He paid off Reuven's credit to 500 So I now I'll pay 500 to the children. And therefore, you know, uh, I, I can subtract it. You know? So the Gebra says, Dinahu, the law is, that the children of Reuven can come along, and they can tell Shimon, Listen, our father left a debt of metaltelin. Metaltelin is literally movables, which means our father gave us a, uh, 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 left us with a, uh, uh, a creditor that's coming after him with movables. And the rule is, we're not obligated to pay that guy. So what the Yomim were trying to say is, listen, what you paid, that's your problem. You cannot take a credit to which you owe our father, which is now ours, because now we inherited this money over here, which we inherited this uh, debt that you owe us. So therefore, they're claiming you owe us full full price. And the Gemara says, indeed, that is the law. That is the halakha. Therefore, she has to pay twice. When he paid the uh, the Kabbal Hov, that doesn't affect what he has to pay. So listen, we're not obligated. You paid something, we're not obligated to pay that. You can't credit that. We didn't owe that money. You paid it just to save your own field. And therefore, you owe us the money for the, for the field. Because that, that money, that belongs to us. Now look at that sheet. Let's read that inside. Let's start inside with... Um, we'll start in the sheet. Right? The Baalhov, the creditor, comes to take it from Shimon. Mm-hmm. He didn't pay for the field yet, Reuben. 
So Shimon he appeases the guy. Oh, I take take the money. The otan maot dinahu hafalgav the abuhon kabir ale acharayut mechirazu. Even though Reuven did accept responsibility that if any creditors come, he'll pay for it. Hafidu hacher. Even so, Yecholim b'nei Reuven lavo al Shimon. The children of Reuven can come and say, Vilomar, Anan metaltele shavik abuch gavan. Which means our father left a obligation of metaltelin, to pay back money. Lo ayita hayav alav. You were not obligated to pay this back. Eda ma'ot. You shouldn't have paid. You, you thought you were going to get it from us? But this is cancelled. Once our father died, he cannot bequeath to us. Now, you're right. If we had real estate, it's another story. Because then the Baal Hof can go after the real estate. But since in this case, there was no real estate, so therefore you want to obligate us to have to pay from our metaltelin? So we have You want to obligate that we have to pay from our movables, your debts? You cannot put a... Uh, so to speak, a lien on the monies of Yetomim. That's the key line. The movables of Yetomim do not become uh, obligated to a Balchov. But if there was real estate, then in a Chenameh it would be. Uh, subject to the Baal Chov. Bechovat Avihim. Okay. Now. Kabbalah continues. We go to the first wide line. Ve'amad Rava said, I pikeyach Shimon. If Shimon was a pikeyach, I mean if he was smart, if he was sharp. Magbelehu ara. Let him pay the Yitomim. Reuven, Shimon owes the Yitomim. Because he bought the field from the Uven. He didn't pay yet, right? So he owes. Let him pay with real estate. Now what's going to happen? Then he can take it back from them. That they have real estate. Or was that real estate? So we're going to consider that real estate as if it was part of the father's portfolio. And therefore what? Therefore there's a lien on that real estate. And therefore now Shimon can get back his money. Mm-hmm. And the Yitomim can't come along and say, oh, well, we only have movables, we're not, we're not obligated. Hey, I just gave you a field. That field was payment, therefore you owe us back. The Amar of Dahman, this is Dahman's trick. Yitomim shegavu karka, bechovat avihim, Yitomim orphans, that collected real estate, karka, against a... Uh, a debt that was owed to their father, Balchov, another creditor can come, can come along and take it from them. Now, let's read Rashi. Third line, Epikeyah, Zishimon, if Shimon's a smart guy, Yitron Yomar Lahim, he'll come and claim like this, Eli Maot Lachem. He'll come along and listen. I'd love to pay you, but I don't have any money. I can't pay you in, in, in tangible, in movables. Elakarka yeshli. Venotna lahem bechovatam. Pays them. Vechozer vegove otam mehem bezvil achariut mechirat shikibel aviyem alav. Why? Dehashta ki yagbelehu ar'ah. Because now when he pays them in 
Karka, here's the key line, Iglai milta de lab metalteleu de shabikabe el karka, which means now it comes out retroactively that their father left them karka. Did you work with the retroactive deen? So if you say retroactive, this belonged to them, which means when they finally pay, we say, no, this already was retroactively, because he obligated himself. So since he obligated himself, the rabbi is telling you what? It was considered the father's from the beginning. So the father bequeathed real estate. Father bequeathed real estate, good. So now the other creditor has rights to the real estate. Well, Shimon paid that guy off. So come along, hey, they owe it to me. So that's the way Shimon, if he's smart, how he can excise payment from the Yatomim. And the Gemara explains that on the fourth line. The Mikan, I'm sorry, the Keman, sorry, third line. I Amart Bishlama. If you're going to say, Limafreya Hugove, if you're going to say that the payment works retroactively, meaning that once he said, Shimon says, I owe you the money, right? I owe you the money for the field that he bought. And then when he finally pays him, we said that that money was really retroactively belonged to Reuven. That's why he can come now and take payment from that field. Because that's like they were taking a, a, a real estate that there was a lien on it from the time that the father was alive. However, but if you're going to say that no, that when that payment was made to the Yatomim, it's made in the present. Therefore, when did the Yatomim take possession of that field? In the present. Therefore, you cannot put a lien on it from before, and therefore Shimon would lose his rights. How could Shimon come along now and take payment? It's considered as if what? If Yatomim, let's say, bought property. Right? And now... Uh, if they bought b- by property, they own it now. It's not considered retroactive. You can't take a lien on something that the Yatomim themselves bought. You can only take put a lien on something that the father had from when he was alive. The ilu And if the Yatomim are going to buy property, now you're going to tell me what? They can put a hub on it? They can put a lien on it? No. The lien is only placed on things that were from the father. The father. And you're right. If the father bequeathed real estate to the son, you're right. There was a lien on that property from when the father was alive. So therefore the son has to pay the creditors. In this case over here, but if you're going to say that now when Shimon gives the field, it ha- it, it, it's not retroactive. We say that that field is serving payment in the present. That's like your Tomim going and buying a field. If you didn't go buy a field now, the Baal Chod does not have rights. So therefore the question is against Rava. Why? Because Rava, you were the one that said that it works Mikan ul And you're the same rabbi that's coming along and saying, if Shimon's a smart guy, let him use Rav Nachman's uh, trick and uh, let him give him the the real estate. Since it works retroactively, so therefore he can get his payment now back for what he paid the Baal Chov and therefore he gets uh, gets paid back. What do you mean? Rabbi, you're the one that says it works. It doesn't work retroactively. So the Gemara says, no, Shani Hatam. That case with Uven and Shimon, it's different. 
Which means like this. It's got nothing to do with working retroactive. You don't need to work retroactive in this case for it to work. It'll work without that. How? The Amar Lehu. Because Shimon can tell the Yitomim. Shimon can tell the uh, children of Reuven. Meaning, just like I obligated myself to pay money to your father for the field, I'm mishtabed myself, I'm, I'm subjugating, or I'm obligating is the right word, myself. So I am also now mishtabed to the... Or mortgaged, okay, that would be the word. I'm also, this is now, I'm also mortgaged now to the creditor of your father. Which means, just like I mortgaged myself or my property to you, that property also is considered now mortgaged to your father's creditors. I'm going to explain to you how this works in Halakha, and then we'll read it inside. This is the famous case called Shi'budah the Rabbi Natan. What is the case of Shi'budah the Rabbi Natan? A uh, lends money to B. Okay? And B lends money to C. So the halakha says A can go get paid from C. He can cut out, uh, cut out the middle guy, cut, cut out B. That's the shi'bud of the Raminatan. How does it work halakhically? So it works like this. When A lends the money to B, right? So now B uh, obligates himself. Usually when you lend money, you put it on real estate. That if you don't make payment, he can take it back from Karka. Mm-hmm. So B obligates himself, let's say, in Karka, he's going to pay back A. Okay? Now when B goes and lends money to C, okay? So also now C obligates himself with karka to B. So now the way the shi'abud works is that that karka that he obligates himself to B also obligates himself to A. Just like that karka now is mortgaged to B, so it's also mortgaged to the creditor of B, which is A. And therefore, A can go now and take this field. That's the Shi'abud of Rabbi Natan. And we're going to learn this from Pesukim. It's a Hadush, but the Pesuk says it. So therefore, we say the same thing in this case over here. Reuven comes along. Sorry, Reuven died. Shimon comes along and says, This field over here is mortgaged to your father. Meaning, I owe your father. He has, uh, you know, rights to this over here. And just like he has a shi'bud to this over here, your father's creditors, meaning the Baal Chav, that your fathers also have a, a shi'bud on this. So therefore, I can go straight and pay them. I don't have to go give it to him. He's, he's, like, uh, he's like C, right? Shimon in this case, like C. He's saying, just, you have, you have a, 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 this was mortgage to you. But this is mortgaged as well to the creditors. Therefore, I can go skip you and go give it straight to the 
Credit to. So this is working through a different principle. Nothing with retroactive. Nothing with you don't got to come out to the Avaz thing like that. You come out to the regular din of Shemud that have Let's read it inside how it works. And I'll say, I'll say it again. Shani Hatam. This case is different. Kihechi. I'm sorry. De Amar Dehu. Because he'll say to them, meaning Shimon will say to the Yetomim, Kihechi de Mishtabedana le Avuchon. Which means, just like this property is mortgaged to your father, Mishtabedana na me le Baal Chov de Avuchon. It's also mortgaged to your father's Baal Chov, father's creditor. And me. Which is, now in this case over here, it is himself. Because he paid, he paid the guy off already. So therefore what he's doing is, he's like, I, it's mortgage to your father, but it's also mortgage back to me. Because your father owes me money, because uh, he, he obligated himself that he's going to pay for the debt. So therefore, he should get it back. So the Gemara says, That's based on the Binatan's rule. How do we know that a person that is noshe b'chavero, he is, um, what would the word be, demanding or exacting uh, payment, right? Or he's demanding payment, noshe. Oh, he's claiming, okay. Claiming money from his uh, friend. B'chavero b'chavero. And that friend is claiming money from another friend. That the first guy can go and to the third guy and take the money. That's it. A uh, to B and B to C. So A go to C. Okay, well, that was the case. So how do you know he could do that? The way he says it over here is, you have uh, Levi lent money to Yehuda. And Yehuda lent money to Yisachar. So how do we know that uh, Levi can go to Yisachar and take money? You cut out the middle guy. So it says, Talmud Lomar, because we have a pasuk. Now listen to the pasuk. Venatan la'asher asham lo. What was this pasuk about? This pasuk was about a thief. A guy that stole money. <clears throat> now what's the law of a person that steals money? He has to pay back Keren Bahomish. He has to pay back principal, and the Torah penalizing that he has to pay back an additional fifth. Who does he have to pay back to? Well, seemingly has to pay back to the guy he stole the money to. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't say that. The Pasuk says, Ashamlo. Now the word Asham over here means to the one that belongs to him, the principal. Now, if it was told by the guy he stole from, the Pasuk uh, could have said, uh, I'll give you the, the, the word it could have said. Right, that's what the Pasuk says. Uh, the Pasuk could have said, Right. Meaning to, to the one that uh, sinned uh, against him. Right, it says Vinatan la Asher Asham Lo. Oh, exactly. And it didn't say. Um, I got the right uh, terminology here. One moment. Noshebo. Right, Noshebo. Noshebo would mean the one that's claiming the money. That was the, the, the Nixal. The Nixal is coming and says, "Hey, you stole money. Give it to me." No, give it to the one that the principal belongs to. Meaning, we must be talking about a case with the Gazlan with the Nixal, the one that was stolen. He owed money out to another guy. And then what the Torah is telling you that the Gazlan can pay it to 
the creditor of the Nigzal. That's where you learn Shabudad Rabinatam. Which means, uh, now the Gazal's got to pay back. Mm-hmm. Who's going to pay back to the Nigzal? They're going to pay back to the Nigzal. Why? Because the Nigzal owes money to, 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 to another guy. So the Torah is coming to tell you from the word, Vinatan uh, Nashir, Asham law. So Asham is a different guy. Asham is the guy that the principal is owned to him. Owed to him. Who's that? That's uh, uh, number three. So therefore the Gazlan skips over the Nigzal. Gazlan skips over the Nigzal and goes straight to the uh, creditor, the Baal Chov. So then with the same thing over here. The Uven died. So his children now are Yetumim. Shimon can come to them. Nothing to do with retroactively. Shimon come to listen. Uh, I owe your father this field over here. This field, I obligated myself to your father to pay for the, uh, for the field that I bought. And therefore, just like I have a mortgage meaning to your father, this field also is Mishu'bad as well to the creditors of your father. Me being one of those creditors, so it's a wash. Instead of me having to pay you, I just pay myself back, and therefore we're even. Okay? So even the Ravah can agree to such a case. Tanan, we have a Mishnah. Nochri Shelba et Israel al Hemso. That's our Mishnah. The Goy lent money to Israel al Hemso, putting a collateral on the Jews, Hametz. Ahara Pesa Mutar Bahana. So the Mishnah clearly said that what? After Pesach, that Hametz of a Jew is permissible. How? So if you hold like Abaye, that it works retroactively, and therefore that Hametz already was considered owned by the Goy from the beginning, and therefore when the Jew defaulted right after Pesach, doesn't matter, because that Hametz throughout Pesach belonged to the Goy, that's why Mutar but if you say that it's not retroactive, that it's proactive, and therefore the second the Jew defaults, that's when the Hametz belongs to the Goy. That means throughout Pesach, the Hametz belongs to the Jew. Why is it permissible? What do you mean? He was in the possession of a Jew throughout the Pesach. Gemara says, What's the case? This is the way we learned it in the Mishnah. It's talking about where it was in the possession of the Goy, meaning the Jew deposited the Hametz by the Goy. It's not a case where the Jew obligated himself with Hametz and the Jew kept the Hametz in his house. You're right, in that case, in the would be Asurbana. We're talking about the Jew obligated himself with the Hametz and the Goy kept it in his Possession, when the Jew deposited it by the Goy, in that case, everybody will agree it's considered the Goy's, and therefore, after Pesach will be Mutabah. So there's a difference between the Jew just obligating himself with Hametz, or actually taking the Hametz and giving it to the Goy and putting it into his possession. As he says on the one, two, three, six lines. Mm-hmm. 
At this point, we're assuming the way it's working is like this. So now it's a mashkon. Mashkon means a collateral. A security, exactly. Now, we're going to learn in the Gemara that the one that's holding the mashkon, the collateral, owns the collateral. Like we're going to see in the Talmud, in certain cases, when you were holding a collateral for somebody, to a certain degree, you actually own it. Also, very good. Now we understand why the Muhammad's mutar Because since the collateral is being held by the Goy, so it's considered as if he owned it throughout Pesach, therefore mutar So the Gebra says, Let us say that this is indeed a mahloket amongst the Tanaim. Meaning, this mahlukah of Abayyin Rabbah, does it work retroactive, or does it work proactive? Let's say it's a mahlukah amongst the Tanaim, how? Yisrael shehilva l'nukhri al-himso, a Yisrael, let money to a goy, al-himso, and the goy's hametz was the collateral, le'achara pesach eno over, you're not over. That's Tanakama Shita. Why? Because over here it's the Goy's Hametz. This is the Goy's Hametz. So it's Hametz Shavar on the piece of a Goy. There's no Dina Visun. Ana. Mishum Rebimir Amru Over. Rebimir says, No. You're over. Oh, so how do we explain the Mahlokit? So Kabra says, My Labakam Palge. Demor Sabar the Mafreyahu Gobe. One rabbi holds that it works the mafreya. And therefore, that's the bimir. And since it works the mafreya, that means what? The Jew owns the hametz from the beginning of Pesach. Because when the goy defaults, that hametz that's going to be served as the payment actually belongs to the Jew from the beginning of Pesach. That was considered hametz, shahavaralava, Pesach, which is going to be azur. Bana, umor sabar, mikarul haba. And Tanakamara says it's not a problem, so the it works. Going present, and therefore it was always the going to Pesach. So we found the Malokit Tanaim. Kabbalah says, Does it make sense to explain the Malokit like that? Why not? I bring you a problem from the end of that statement. What does it say? Aval. This is the opposite case. Nochri Shilval Yisrael. A Nochri now lent money to a Jew. Al Himso again against the Hamits of the Jew. According to everybody, you're going to be over. What do you mean? Let's analyze it ourselves. It should be the same mahlokit. Which means whatever whatever you held in the first case, this would be the opposite. Which means if you hold that it works retroactively. So therefore, retroactively, this hametz belonged to the goy over Pesach, which should be mutar. And the opinion that says that it works in the present, this hametz should be asur because it belonged to the Jew, which is the same mahlok that you had above. It would be the opposite in this case. How can it be the vrakol? If you're working with the sevara of the bafreya and mikanul haba, so it, it's the same thing. There should be a mahlok in this case as well. So the Gemara says, if coming, it's to be the reverse of the first case, which means leman de amar hatam eno over hacha over leman de amar hatam over hacha eno over, which means the opinion that said in the first case over 
We'll hold this case in Oven. The peanut said the first case in Oven. We'll hold over here Oven because basically, if you're working with the Sivarot of Mikana Laban Lemafreya, so if the same dynamics work in both cases, how come it said the Vrakol? So the Gibbara says, must be it's a different Machloket. Ela, exactly. Hacha. Ela, hacha, bimai askinan. So what are we talking about over here? Gibbara says, Kegon Chirhino Etzlo. Uh, we're talking about a new case where you actually deposited the collateral by the creditor in both cases meaning in the case over in the beginning where was the the Jew that was lending money so the hametz of the goy was placed by the Jew and the opposite case as well now and the root of their mahlokit is in the Yitzhak. What do you say? What do you say? The Yitzhak, mashkon. How do you know that a Baal Chov, which is a creditor, that when he's holding a collateral, he owns it? Hadush, how do you know he owns the collateral? Says, and the one that gives back the collateral, it'll be considered charity. So the question is, what, what, what kind of charity is this over here? If the guy paid, so therefore, he's giving back the collateral, that's not charity. He has to give it back because the guy paid the uh, the debt back. So Gibran says, Im eno konem minayin. <laughs> If he didn't own the mashkon, why would the Torah call it tzedakah? Mikan ba'al chov shekonem mashkon. For me, you indeed see there that when he's holding the mashkon, he actually owns it. So when he's giving it back, as if he's giving it back something that he owned. So when the Torah calls it, Sedaka. Let's look at Nashi. Top line in Nashi. Ela. Resha besefa kishir hinno. The Resha besefa is talking about where the Hamid was deposited by the Baal Chov. Aval belo hinno. Oh, but in the case where it wasn't deposited, they call it Alma Mikano Laba Ogove. Jesus, we can explain like Rava. Because this was, uh, uh, if it was not deposited, we'll learn like Rava that says what? It works Mikano Laba. And therefore, in the case where it was the Jews' Hametz, it's going to be Asurbana. In the case where it was the Goys' Hametz, it'll be Mutarbana. But this was a different case to Blight. I was talking about what? It was deposited by the creditor's house. Continued Ashi. So long as the loan is outstanding, What's the nafkamina? Which means, if let's say, something happens to the mashkon, the creditor is hayav, which means... Right, the Gemara said with us, I'm sorry. Which means, normally you have laws of Shomrim. There's certain levels of different Shomrim. If a guy's watching something for free, he's obligated to a certain amount. If he's watching something for a payment, he's obligated to a certain amount. Meaning, of, of watching. In this case over here, it's considered... His, that if something happens to it, he will have to okay. replace it. Which means that it's your item. You're, right? Continue. Rashi. When the creditor returns the collateral, 
says, I amart kone mashkon, ika tzedaka, beha, shechiba sheshacha besimlato, shishin lo ze davara kanui lo. Which means like this, let's say he gave him a collateral, his uh, blanket. Right, that was the collateral. So it says, I amart kone mashkon, if you're going to say, that the creditor is Kone the Mashkon, he owns it. Ika tzedaka behal shechiva shechakat besimlato shishin lo zed davara kanui lo. Which means it seems that the tzedaka is going on the one that gave him the collateral. Which means by giving him the collateral, you did tzedaka to the guy. Which means you let him use the blanket. Udhati yet tzedaka. By giving him the blanket to the creditor, you did a, you did a mechesed. What's the charity? You gave the guy a blanket to use for a couple of weeks till he paid you, paid you back. So what do you see? If he's able to use it, that means what? He must own it for that time. Which means, uh, you have to say what? That that is considered the tzedakah. So we explain again, no. Which means the case, I explain it clearer. The case of the tzedakah is where a love gave a collateral, a blanket, let's say, to the malveh. Mm-hmm. So the Torah says, since the guy's in Ani, the love, the malveh has to return the blanket every night in order that the love could sleep. and want him to sleep in the cold. So the Torah says, when you give it back to the love, it's considered giving charity. What do you mean? If he has to give it back, if it doesn't belong to him, that's not charity. It must be because really, at that point where the debt was not paid, it really belongs to the... And then we're saying, okay, it's charity, very good. Now let's, let's apply that to our case. Good. Tanakama Sabal. Tanakama holds. Ani mili Yisrael mi Yisrael hu de karinan be ulchati when does this law apply? That the one that's holding the mashkon is considered that he owns it. That's when it's a Jew to a Jew, like the case in the Torah. We have a love and a malve where they're both Jewish. Aval Yisrael menochri, but Yisrael that gets a collateral from a goy lokane. And therefore, when the Israel lent money to the Goy, and the Goy deposited the collateral in the house of the Jew, the Jew doesn't own it. Ah, what do you mean? You just said the collateral is owned by the by the uh, by the Malveh. That's only due to a Jew, but not by the Goy. Therefore, whose chametz is this? The Goy. Therefore, it's mutar. sabar I mean, it's the exact opposite. He says, Yisrael, Yisrael, Kane, Yisrael, Menuchri, Lokot Sheken, which is all the more so, the Jew is going to own the Goy's item. And therefore, if the Jew owns the Goy's Mashkon, that, and it was deposited by him, therefore what? This Hametz is considered Hametz of a Jew. Therefore, it's going to be a Surah. So the Mahlokit of Tanakaman and Bimihir is not, is it retroactive or is it pride? No! The Mahlokit, everyone agrees, it was deposited by the Jew. So what's the talui on? Does a mashkon of a goy belong to a Jew or not? Everybody agrees a Jew's mashkon to a Jew belongs to the Jew. The sheila is by the goy. Good. Aval, let's go to the sefa. Aval nochri shehilva et Yisrael al chemso. But a goy that lent money to a Jew against his chametz. Then the chametz of the Jew is by the goy, right? Because we learn she didn't know it's law. Where you place it by the goy, 
Everybody's going to say, you over. Why? Hatam vaday nukhrim Yisrael lokaneh. In that case, everybody holds that when the Goy is holding a mashkon of a Jew, he doesn't own it. And since he doesn't own it, it belongs to the Jew. And therefore it's Hametz, Avar, Arab, Hapes. But this Machlok that we just read over here, it's got nothing to do with Machlok Rabbi and Rava. Really, it's got to do with what? How to interpret the Yitzhak. To what extent does a mashkon that's in your possession belong to you? Tanakamah will say, only Jew to a Jew. But Jew to a Goy, no meaning when a Jew's holding a Goy's item, no. The Bimi will say, no, even when a Jew's holding a Goy's item, he owns it. And therefore, over alav, the Pesach However, everybody will agree. Where the Jew is holding a Goy's collateral, uh, he doesn't, a Jew is a, a Goy, is holding a Goy, is holding a Jew's collateral, in that case, he doesn't own it, and therefore it's the Jews, uh, it's and therefore everybody says, Over. That's the explanation. Good. Tanan. Mishnah. Nochri Shelva. What's the Aleph? Et Yisrael. Okay. Alhamso. What do we say in the Mishnah? Nochri, the Goy, lends money to a Jew against the Jews Hametz. After Pesach, mutar b'ana'a. After Now, we're learning the case is talking about what? Where it's by him. Meaning, the nochri that lent the money to Israel, instead deposited his chametz by the nochri's house. Okay? So you're telling me... Mutar behana'ah. What are you talking about? Ha'amak nochri Yisrael lokane. You just told me that everybody agrees that the goy doesn't own the mashkon of Yisrael. If that's the case, it should be asur which means now we're adding a new factor. We thought it no law when you deposit by the goy, it's the goys. But now we throw in a new factor here. No. <laughs> That doesn't work that way when it's a Jew to a Goy. And therefore, when the Jew gives the collateral to the Goy, it's still zoned by the Jew. Jew. So Gemara says, La Kasha will answer. Uh, a new stipulation you got to throw into the case. If let's say the Goy tell the Jew that if you don't pay me, I own this from now. So then already, that's why the Mishnah says mutar bana'ah. So you have to learn the case of the Mishnah now as follows. The Goy is lending money to the Jew. The Jew deposits the money by the Goy's house. And the Goy says, if I don't get paid, I own this immediately from now. And in that case, it's not going to be considered Hamish of Allah because it was owned by the Goy. And the other case of the Braita that said, it's going to be considered Asur Bahana is what? And therefore in that case it's talking about where the Jew deposited the Hametz by the Goy. Since the Goy doesn't own the Maskon of a Jew, therefore what? It's Hametz Shahavar Alab Hapesa. And since no stipulation of Me'akshav was made, it'll be Asur Bahana. So that is the Hiluk. Now the Gemara just asks, where do you see 
that there's a difference between if he made the stipulation of I own it from now or not, me'achshav or not. So the Tanya, simple case. Nochri sherhin pat purni Israel. A nochri that deposited pat purni, that's big loaves of bread. Now, normally in a collateral, uh, you would, instead of using the normal small loaves that they used to make, they would deposit a big loaf that is hashuv. So they call that pat purni. It's a Yisrael. So he deposited the pat purni to a Jew against his against his loan. Eno over. You're not going to be over. Why? Because that belongs to the goy. Right? Even though it's in the Yisrael's possession, the Yisrael doesn't own the collateral of a goy. However, if the Goy comes along and says, meaning this has reached you, literally that's what it means, that she says, If I don't pay you by this day, you can take it. So the Gebra says, What's the between Meaning the difference is that he say Let's review that last case. The goy borrowed money from the Jew. He took his pat and he put it by the Jew's house. Okay. Now we want to know what's the deen. So the Resha says. Utar after Pesach. Why? Because we consider it still as the goys. Because what's the deen? The deen is when you have the collateral of a... Well, of course, there's going to be the opinion that's saying that when you have the collateral of a goy by a Jew, we're saying that what? It belongs to the goy. This was only said by Israel to a Israel. Correct. That's according to Tanakama. However, the Sefa said what? If he comes along the goy and says, which means, take it now, meaning, if I don't pay, you own it. So therefore, in that case, what's the difference? If they see this news, meaning if the goy says, then it's going to be, and if not, not. New case. Israel. You have a store, belongs to a Jew. And the merchandise is Jewish owned merchandise. And non Jewish workers enter the store. Now you find Hamits in the store after Pesach. Where do you assume it came from? From the Jewish merchant owned merchandise or the Goyim that work in the store? Gemara says, Asur You cannot benefit from it. And all the most you cannot eat it. What's the logic? <laughs> In all odds, it came from the merchandise, not from the goyim. Now the opposite case: Hanut Nukri. You have a store that is owned by goyim. Nukri, and the merchandise belongs to goyim. And Jewish workers go in and out. You can eat the hametz. All the most you can benefit. Why? Because you assume it came from the merchandise. Merchandise is goyim. Hametz and other pesach goyim is mutar. Next mishnah. You have hametz. A building fell on it. 
now you have it's all buried under rubble. That's considered destroyed. I mean, you don't got to go now and make bi'ur hanetz. That's considered mivu'ar. Depends. If the dog can't dig it up, it's okay. But if the dog can dig it up, it's going to be as soon you have to go and burn it. So the Gabbana says, Even though the rubble is on the hamits, and that exempts you from bi'ur, you still have to make bitul. Meaning you have to say that that hametz that's underneath there, hefker. Why? Because just in case on the holiday, it might be uncovered. Now it's going to happen. And there will be a hametz in your possession. So therefore, with the rubble, you still need to make a bitul. Now, Tana. Kama hafisat ha-kelev. Rabban Shemom Gamriel said, if the door can't get to it, so then already, it's permissible. So they go on to know, well, how deep does it have to be that a dog will not be able to search it? Mm-hmm. If it's three to nine deep into the rubble, already the dogs cannot get to it. The law is like this. Let's say you go give your money to a shomir. Somebody's going to watch it for you. Okay? So he has obligation. He has to watch it. If he's negligent, then he has to pay you that money. So, what do they usually do? They would take the money and they would put it in the ground. So the Gebaran wants to know how deep do you have to put it in the ground to be considered not negligent. So the Gebaran says, Do you need also three tefahim? Or maybe not. By the dog, they smell. Therefore, you have to bury three tefahim, because it doesn't need to be, they'll sniff it, and they'll what? They'll dig it up. Yeah. Over there by the money, what are you trying to do? You want to cover it from the people, so no one sees it. Yeah. So by the money to be considered a good shomer, so long as you buried it one tefah, it's good. I, I, I said one tefah, but the Gemara didn't say that. The Gemara says it doesn't have to be three. So the Gemara next line is Amara Vikama. So how much? Not three, but how much? Amara Frabapa Misikra Tefah. What does Misikra mean? Handbreath. No, that's where he's from. Ah, that's the place. Amara Beautiful. Kama Tefah. Okay, now she says that by the way. Misikra Makom. Okay? So therefore, when it comes to being a Shomer, so long as you buried it, a tefah in the ground, you consider the Shomer. If something happened to it, you are exempt. Amen.